Marini's Media. Hello and season's greetings. It's the Offside Rule WSL edition and coming up on this show, Manchester City's late, late show against Arsenal reignites their title hopes. Man United also leave it late in their win at Reading to extend their lead at the top of the table. And it's two in two for Alex Morgan as the Spurs renaissance under Rianne Skinner continues. Welcome along, I'm Lindsay Hooper. Now Kate's away this week, but I'm not left all on my own, so not at Christmas. Alongside me for this episode, I'm joined by Katie Wyatt, women's football correspondent for The Athletic. Hello, Katie. Hi. Good to hear from you again. Um, we'll catch up on what you've been up to. And then also Jen O'Neill, editor of She Kicks magazine and their website. Hello, Jen. Hello. Katie, we'll come straight to you because uh, the last time we spoke, you were just taking on the job of women's correspondent at The Athletic. And it's been nonstop from what I hear. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's been a big gear change from the Telegraph. They just do things a little bit differently and certain things that you do and don't have to do. Um, but it's been really, really enjoyable and allowed me to sort of jump into lots and lots of different things. So I, I'm really glad that I came on board. Great. And it's the penultimate show for us before Christmas too. Jen, last couple of weeks then uh, before the winter break, I know that you've been very busy, but are you having any virtual Christmas parties with your team at She Kicks? No, I hate them all. <laughs> no. Um, Bar no, humbug. No, nothing planned. No, we're just sort of winding down planning for the January issue. And I've actually been furloughed a lot of this year myself. So it's been quite difficult. It's been weird not being able to work. And then having sort mm-hmm. of frenzied periods of, of getting the mag done. So looking forward to a bit more normality next year and hopefully catching up with my colleagues. I do miss them, honest. <laughs> Just to let you know that we won a gold award, guys. I don't know whether you saw this, but the Football Content Awards announced that we'd won gold for best in women's football, small to medium business at their recent awards. So we wanted to say a big thank you to all of the listeners to the podcast, everyone who engages with the content as well online. Uh, we couldn't have done that without you. It's another nice little award that we've got. And I think the fact we nearly had to pull the plug on this very show due to a lack of funding goes to show what you can achieve and a big thank you to you guys as well so Jen Katie contributing on the on the show it, it's just as much your award as well Woo-hoo. well done <laughs> I think you've put a lot uh, a lot uh, more work into it than we have and I just think a massive congratulations is an order yeah. because at the time when I remember covering it when you were considering pulling the plug because you couldn't find a sponsor or anything like that and for you to persevere because you know it's the right thing to do to promote women's sport and women's football I think is really really good thing to do and hats off to you and thank you for still continuing to do so even when you didn't have the financial backing from the organisations that you needed it from at the time. Oh, thanks, Katie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's given us a, an incentive now to keep going even more. So that's, that's great. We'll crack on with the show then because we've got loads to get through, starting with this. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Evans loses possession. Stanway will hit it. And it came off her own player, White, and we will hit it. Oh, that's absolutely outstanding. Caroline Weir has surely won this for Manchester City. 
Caroline Weir there scoring with the last kick of the game to give Manchester City a 2-1 win over Arsenal and reignite their title challenge. The Gunners side included Jen Beattie, who announced this week that she's been receiving treatment for breast cancer and praised the amazing support of her teammates. We saw them donning a shirt in the warm-up with her number and name on. And it was Arsenal who took an early lead when the WSL's leading scorer, Viviane Miedemar, fired home her 11th goal of the campaign. But City equalised through Sam Mewis's header on 34 minutes and they were asking some serious questions. 18 shots in the game compared to Arsenal's two and that pressure did finally tell when Weir curled home that fine winner in added time. So what does that all mean? City stay fourth in the table but are now just a point behind Arsenal who slipped to third. The Gunners have suffered back-to-back away league defeats for the first time. Uh, Jen, great performance from City. I think we've talked about them perhaps needing time to gel but they're starting to show that they they're getting an understanding yeah and you know they could have been reeling after conceding so early and and there are question marks we'll ask I think about Arsenal as well playing it around at the back or not getting rid of it and that's how Man City were caught in the first few minutes and before we pick on them I just wanted to say I find it quite um well it's enriching and exciting for us neutrals to see teams trying to play football rather than just getting rid I was a central Mm -hmm. defender, I would have hoofed it um, just to get that out. Um, Yeah, City really starting to to come together and we'll talk about Weir rightly because that was a a fine finish from her, as you said. But uh, Mewis is just an absolute colossus for that team. Physically, she's a a level above most of the the players that she's coming up against. She wins so many second balls in and around the area. Um, When she gets on the ball herself and she motors forward, Players can't shrug her off it. She's she's phenomenal and she's been such a, a big signing for them. And I know people have said that before, but I think we have to keep stating that. Do you think, Katie, that City now are, are back in the title race? I know, for one, I was somebody who said, I, th- I think they're out of that now. Maybe it's the Cups where we've got to see City really coming to the fore. But do you think that they're in it? Um, I'm still quite slightly wary of saying that they're back in the title race. I think... They've probably stumbled too early on to kind of and left themselves with too much ground to make up. And I think that we're really seeing a City team that are clicking now and have shown how ruthless and formidable they can be and are really benefiting from the superstars in that team and looking like the team that they always hinted at being. So I think that that is probably what will give them hope in that regard. But I just feel that Chelsea are far too consistent, that Manchester United are probably far too consistent and the gap is too much for them to close I think it will probably be more obvious in the second half of the season as that you have the second round of heads-to-heads and whether Manchester United stay up there and whether Chelsea pull in front or anything like that but I just my instinct is that as we have seen in previous seasons with Chelsea kind of being out of the title race in, in October in 18-19 just because of how many games they've drawn and City's draws early on that season against Bristol City and Reading kind of doing it for them so I think you can't really afford those slip-ups that we have seen City have this season. So instinctively, I just feel as though they've left themselves with too much to do. But if they were to come back, it would be a, it would be a real, real achievement with the superstars that they have got in that team. Mm, I, I don't think we could take anything away from them if they do manage it, could we? Um, I mean, three years of Joe Montemoro now, they've slipped Arsenal to third in the table. I'm wondering about some of the post-match comments here, um, Jem, because he, he actually talks about mentality. He said it's obviously mentality. 
to say, okay, we'll settle for the point. We're away from home. It's always going to be a difficult place to win here. And I unfortunately can't keep the ball for them on the pitch. You can hear some real undertones of frustration there. They have to make those decisions on the pitch. What did you take away from those comments? Well, it's actually echoing pretty much what he said before the game against Chelsea because mm. he was talking about mentality then as well. And he, he said it's it's not down to phases of play in terms of 10 or 15 minutes in these games against top sides. It's about moments, how you deal with them. And it's a mental battle for us more than anything, he said. And, and, and yet they still don't seem to have solved that. I think they were unfortunate because if you watch that goal back, Kim Little is in a position to actually prevent the shot or at least get in the way of that opening occurring. But she slips and, and that is misfortune. But mm. they did have more than one opportunity to, to deal with that and to, to use their bridge. And there are European champions in that team. They, they should be doing better. There is, there is a wobble going on. And I know some fans are, I think, being overly harsh because they have got injuries. Players like Jordan Nobbs would be vital to come back and be fully fit. Noel Maritz is a fantastic defender and probably is needed in that back line at the moment. The game against Everton is is going to be a pressure point coming next week. And they have gone through a lot as well in the last week. I I mentioned at the top about Jen Beattie, and I'm sure people have seen across social media and the interview that she did as well for the women's football show. She's having to battle breast cancer and has had treatment for that um, while still playing football. A lot of us were very unaware of that going on, but I'm sure it's something within camp that, that they were aware of. And of course, coming to the press this week, it will have been talked about do you think that there was there was anything there in in that they they're all feeling maybe a bit more fragile? I think this is definitely an argument to say that you can focus on your football and persevere, but you can't really control the fatigue emotionally and mentally of of that kind of concern. I mean, Jen Beatty's been a been fantastic, and we'll all be full of plaudits for how brave and what she's doing in terms of awareness. But yeah, it it's got to have some cost, hasn't it? I, I, I think it would be inhuman to expect them to be able to carry on without that affecting them at all. And it's such a small world, the women's football community, as we saw, Katie, with your piece that you did prior to this match, because you you did a whole feature for The Athletic on on the fact that Kira Walsh and Leah Williamson are best friends. You know, everyone knows each other. And I think the whole of women's football will have been rocked by it, won't they? Definitely. And I think that you saw that with the act during the warm-up for them to wear warm-up shirts with BT5 on the back and... It was particularly, I think, amplified with City being Jen Beattie's former club. But I think that there is no one in women's football that has read that story or watched that clip of the interview and not been emotionally affected by it. And I think Gareth Taylor was saying that when Jen Beattie used to play for City, he drove her in because they lived in a similar part of the country and drove her back home every day and kind of bonded in those 15, 20 minute car journeys. So I think that for everybody involved in that game on Sunday in particular, would have been a very, very emotional event. And I think, as you were saying, with how small the world of women's football is and with the number of clubs that certain players have played through and the amount of people who end up kind of knowing each other and everything, I think there are so many people on Sunday that will have had that at the forefront of their minds, even if they were trying to focus on the game or whatever. If there's one thing that Arsenal can adjust for the next match, because you, you mentioned how big this is going to be, Jen, against Everton, what's the one thing that you you tweak? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because they started so well. So you, you can't say that they didn't come out of the blocks with the, the right intentions because you can't take away Miedema's strike from her. That was pinpoint. But they just sort of fuck him off the gas. 
and, and Man City dominated. So maybe it wasn't Arsenal's fault particularly. Maybe Man City were that good and they imposed their will on the game in that, in that way. I, I want to see um, Jordan Nobbs back in that team because she can be the catalyst, I think, in the midfield to, to really get things going. Because when Arsenal are good... They're brilliant. I think it's slightly difficult because I think it's more than just on the pitch. I think if we do start with the pitch first and foremost, I think there is a lot in what Jen was saying earlier when she was talking about Monty Murray's comments about mentality and those key moments on the pitch. And there's a real pattern in particular with late goals against the top three teams. We've seen that against Chelsea, against Manchester United and now against City. Um, it is about those decision-making in key moments and goals that I think are arguably soft. I think the Sam Hughes's goal from the Chloe Kelly corner was just you were watching it and thinking, oh, there's nobody really commanding that back line in that moment and, and being as authoritative as they need to be. So I think that there are moments where those decision-making in key uh, moments can certainly be questioned. But I think there are bigger issues, I think, if you look at the injury crisis that Jen was um, describing and it's sort of become a pattern with Arsenal to the extent that we have seen them launch this internal inquiry into why they are coming unstuck with so many injuries where we have seen their seasons derailed or disrupted by huge numbers of players being unavailable or being in the treatment room and them not being able to field full benches and things like that. So I think that that's something that I'd be interested to hear the results of that inquiry, but also to see what they conclude in terms of do we need a deeper squad? Do we have to recover or condition differently? There's a lot, I think, to look at with that. But I think it's just a bigger question about how maybe they approach these games tactically and are they able to play in the style that they want to and zip and glide and float and have this their really, really intense passing game that is so effective against teams like West Ham and Bristol and and Spurs, is it going to be as effective against teams with the pressing ability of Manchester City, Chelsea and Manchester United? Because I wonder sometimes are they maybe a little bit too narrow against those teams and do they need to maybe think about options? Because they're very good at what they are very good at, which is playing in the Arsenal and the Monty Murray way. But are they good at adapting and thinking outside of that box and almost colouring outside of the lines when they need to? Right then, from Manchester City's late show to another. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterval slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself and no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. There was a late winner for the red half of Manchester 2. Hayley Ladd's 83rd minute header gave leaders Manchester United a 2-1 win at Reading. United had gone ahead through Leah Goulton after half an hour, but Reading hit back after the break when Jess Fishlock's shot deflected in off the unfortunate Millie Turner. Both sides pushed for a winner, but it was Ladd's late header that gave United a fifth successive away win and it's extended their lead at the top of the WSL to three points. I think I'm just going to say what most people who followed women's football for a while will be thinking is, is this bubble ever going to burst for United or can they keep it going? 
well, I think it looks like they'll keep it going for a little while yet. We, we asked this about Everton, didn't we, about two months ago. That popped. Well, has it popped? Perhaps. We'll see. But Manchester United, have, they've always had a strong defensive base. They were up there with Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal when the league was curtailed last season in terms of their defensive prowess and organisation. But they've added that attacking flair to it. And they've also added the belief and the ability to win games when really they shouldn't have. I'm really impressed with the fortitude that they're showing. The thing that I've taken away from from Casey Stoney's coaching and ability here with, with these players is to keep them patient. It's such a tough thing, isn't it? When you're if you're chasing or if it's nil-nil and you feel like the clock's ticking down, sometimes you can rush passes. I've seen it so much over the years in WSL where where keeping that composure and keeping the head sometimes is a really tough ask. But on on these occasions, and in particular, Katie, you know, this away form as well, five away wins from five this season, they are really unstoppable. And they just keep hanging on and know that that moment will come for them. Yeah, I think there's so much to admire about Casey Stoney's coaching. And the first, one of the first ones for me is the fact that, yes, there are superstars in this team with Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Jackie Grone and Lauren James, who is kind of going to be a superstar in the future, but still maybe a little bit too young to be in that bracket. But the vast majority of players in this team are players that won promotion from the Championship to the Women's Super League. And for her to have made them into players that are competing at the top of the WSL and maybe haven't achieved as much as the likes of Lucy Bronze or Steph Hall and Jill Scott, whoever it is, whoever the superstars are at City and Chelsea, but are certainly capable of going toe-to-toe against them when those sides do meet is a real feather in her cap. So I think that that part of her coaching is really, really admirable. I feel that the worry about them dropping away is perhaps because the pattern that we see with Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal is that when they play the teams outside of that top three, they are getting three, four, five, six, no wins over them. And that gap between them is far more comprehensive. I think with Manchester United, it always feels a little bit closer that they always come from behind or they come from a draw to a win. So maybe that's why we're thinking, oh, is the gap between Man United and the bottom sides less pronounced than it is for, say, Chelsea and those bottom sides. But I think the encouraging thing is that as we were, as Jen was saying, that there are these games where they are going behind or decisions are not going their way and they still prevail and they still come through those. So I think no matter what the test seems to be, they always seem to find a way of answering it and they have had to answer several different questions this season. They've come up against all different kinds of opponents that have posed all different tests and they've not stumbled yet. So I think for them, it's very, very encouraging and for their fans, it should be very encouraging that every question that's been thrown at them and seen to answer this season. There could be another test as well and that might come in the form of injuries. We spoke about Arsenal and what they've had to go through with this inquiry they're doing internally. It's not it's not at that point at Manchester United but we did see Lucy Staniforth last only 19 minutes in this match um, and then the injury problems, if you look off the pitch, they are starting to mount up, Jen. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, I think there was about they had seven or eight players out, so they've they sort of weathered that storm. But then it's kind of gathering again. But yeah, Kristen Press, Jess Sigsworth are already out. Then Martha Harris and Alessia Russo are, are more long term. Emily Ramsey, the the second choice goalkeepers, out injured at the moment as well. It's it will be a concern, but players are stepping up. You look at Amy Turner taking the the captain's armband when Katie Zellum missing out, and she, she's she's just 
she's getting better and better and getting back to where she was when she was she picked up her four England caps and her and Millie Turner are hard as nails at the back. And I think that's what United have. They have a, a bit of a, a nasty streak when they need it. They'll do what they need to win games and maybe that's what Arsenal are missing. The winter break can't come soon enough then for some of these teams. They'll be wanting to get players back. Uh, a word on Reading here. They did make a real go of this match. But it's just, it's goals, isn't it? It's in front of goal. It's that final killer ball. It's having the right run at the right time. Those are the things that seem to be not quite lining up at the moment. Yeah, I think we should give credit to the way that Reading played because they're really combative. They really got at Manchester United and they, they did have chances. And they, they sort of forced their way back into the game. But I, I feel like questioning where the goals are coming from for Reading is a perennial thing. Mm. It's like we haven't, had this we've had this conversation more than once before in previous seasons. You've got Dan Carter on on the bench and Emma Harry's a an Academy product who who did a really good job, but she's a bit too lightweight, I thought, in that in that first game. She'll get better and she'll get the experience. But you're right that they just need to to find goals when when they got the half openings. They did get a, a lucky deflection, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Just before we move on, worth mentioning that the November awards, it was a clean sweep by Manchester United. Casey Stoney won November's WSL Manager of the Month. And then Tobin Heath picked up the Player of the Month award. Um, She was up against Penilla Harder at Chelsea, Anita Asante, Aston Villa, Ellen White, Manchester City and Hannah Hampton for Birmingham City. But we will move on. So from the leaders to another of the chasing pack. Anderson again, flicking the ball round the corner for Harder. Harder does well to cross it, looking for the head of Sam Kerr, and she heads it straight into the bottom corner. Classic Sam Kerr, that's what we've seen all season from her, and it's a seventh league goal for Sam Kerr, and it's Chelsea 1, Brighton 0. Chelsea moved up to second after a narrow 1-0 win at Brighton. Sam Kerr's header from Penilla Harder's cross midway through the first half proved enough, although the Blues had a late scare when Anissa Kagman hit the bar for Brighton. Chelsea now unbeaten in their last 29 league matches. They sit three points behind leaders Manchester United. Uh, In terms of Sam Kerr, first of all, uh, we had rightly been questioning her at the start of the season in terms of adjusting to the league, but she really is starting to find her feet now. Or maybe that's her head, Katie. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think it's not been the easiest start to the season for her. I think coming to the WSL last season, we saw her begin to foster a real partnership with Bethany England. And there was some really pleasing link-up play and really good play in the Continental Cup final in particular. And in in the start of this season, things were a little bit rough for her. And the um, Community Shield in particular was a very difficult afternoon for her in terms of just very basic challenges and things and chances and things that she was um, getting wrong and and messing up in things that a player of her calibre and her price tag and her fame and superstar status probably would have been alarming to her for to not maybe be hitting these things as instinctively she has in the sea in seasons past but I think Emma Hayes was right in terms of the way that she showed belief in her and retained belief in her and never criticized her publicly or anything like that and said ah yeah she's still getting into the right positions and moving in the right way and there's a lot to be very pleased about with her performances so I think that there was always hints that 
it would come good and she would never be a Fernando Torres, for instance, in the Chelsea men's team. So I think that it's overdue, but it's also something that I think everybody knew was going to come good eventually from the signs that were there earlier on in the season. Watching WSL over the years, I find it fascinating when these narratives start. And I do think there's this one that's starting to appear between Chelsea and Brighton, Jen. Uh, You may remember last season, Chelsea needed an injury time goal in that match to avoid defeat. Um, And we're talking about September 2019 in terms of time, if you want to go back and and check out the highlights from that match. It was a similar sort of performance. And I'm wondering whether Brighton are this team that can take Chelsea nearly to to getting it. They've come so close to getting this draw, but just missed out again. Yeah, I hope Paul was um, really proud of her team, wasn't she, after the game and and comments? Because I only saw snatches of this. This is the problem when all games are on at two o'clock. Well, most of them. You can only kind of see as much as you can of each. Um, and I thought Brighton really did hold them. They've, they've done this in several games, actually, when they, they have a game plan. They're so disciplined and they stick to that. And Chelsea didn't didn't panic and, and they got the job done. Kagman's effort was was cracking, wasn't it? And it, it deserved a goal almost. Or you could hear, actually, on the, the footage of the of the Kerr header, shoulder, shoulder coming from the Brighton bench because they're wanting the defence to open up to see the run from Kerr. Mm. But it was a great cross from Harder and a great timed run and header from Kerr. And it's Kerr and Harder and Kerr and Kirby. The synchronicity between those three when they link up is, is really fascinating and fantastic to see. And that I'm agreeing with what Katie was saying earlier. I think it's fairly ominous the way that Chelsea look and they're just going to, you expect them to keep ticking on and, and getting results. When you talk about Manchester City trying to catch up, it will they will be relying on other sides to slip up. And can you see Chelsea doing that? It doesn't seem likely at the moment, having got over this Brighton banana skin. Yeah, and I do think going forward, Emma Hayes, when she keeps seeing Brighton on the fixture list, will be like, hmm, uh, <laughs> they're getting closer each time. Uh, they have got this game in hand on Manchester United. So is it still Chelsea's title to be won at the moment? I think so. I think that game in hand is really, really pivotal. And if Chelsea do win that, and then I don't imagine that they will pull away totally from Manchester United. I think that probably does Manchester United a little bit of discredit to say that Chelsea are going to turn this into a procession but I will be very surprised if a squad of the depth that Chelsea's is of and that have played with the consistencies Jen was saying that Chelsea played with they've not slipped up yet um so I think that I'll be very surprised if they don't give Manchester United a real one for their money and really end up taking this as far as they can take it but just a quick word on Brighton that that's the sort of second time this season we've seen them go up against uh, top three side and really really terrify them so that point against City at the start of the season was really really well earned for them so I think it's very interesting that yes they still struggle sometimes against teams outside of that big three but really seem to have found something that works against coming up against bigger teams and there's a lot to admire about them from that perspective. Mm. And it's worth noting as well that the conditions were proper dirty you know that, that some of the games played at the weekend were played in horrible weather and and that can be a, a difficult thing for for top sides who are trying to find their flow and, and hit their rhythm in a game. So it, it, it was it was a great result for, for Chelsea. And next up for Chelsea in the WSL is a London derby against Spurs, who have started to find some form as we're about to cover. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Spurs made it two wins out of two under new manager Rianne Skinner, beating Aston Villa 3-1 at the Hive. Alex Morgan gave Tottenham the lead from the penalty spot after she was brought down by keeper Lisa Vice. I think she was upended is the word I'd use. Uh, that's now two in two games from the spot for Morgan. Uh, Nadine Hansen equalised for Villa in an eventful first half with a fine lob after some wayward defending. But Spurs were soon back in front when Caroline Seams inadvertently diverted Alex Morgan's cross into her own goal. Tottenham sealed the win when Roselle Ayan scored her first goal for the club. I was surprised it's her first goal for the club. I had to double check that, but it is, uh, with the help of a deflection midway through the second half. So Spurs move up to eighth. Villa, who had beaten bottom club Bristol City 4-0 midweek, they slipped back down to 11th. Two from two for Rianne Skinner. So a fine start for her, Gem. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? She wouldn't, couldn't have asked for anything better. Is it her immediate impact? It's it's difficult to tell. You know, they just look like a team with a bit more purpose and a bit more, more belief about them. And it, it certainly helps having Alex Morgan starting to look match fit. I mean, she's probably only about 60% and she was great. She's, she's starting to show in the league her quality and her class. And Ash Neville, Ria Percival also had great games. And I'm pleased to see Kevis Harrop given the, the armband proper leader somebody who's played in the WSL for a decade and and is showing that experience and leadership yeah what what a turnaround it's incredible really that managerial bounce when you bring somebody new in mm. well we're hoping that she's going to join us on the pod soon I don't know whether it will be this side of Christmas or in the new year but we will be hearing from Rianne Skinner at some point I suppose as well with Alex Morgan when when she's starting to have a real influence and you can see that showing I know the two goals have come from the penalty spot but I just think her all-round game has just gone up a level Katie yeah, definitely. I think it's been very interesting to watch her grow week on week on week because we all knew that there would be so much scrutiny and so many eyes on her, one being the player that she is, but two, inevitably, the fact that she's coming back from having uh, a baby. So many people will be looking at her and subconsciously thinking, is she the same player that she is? Is she as fast as she is? This is her first touch as good as she is that. And and just the amount of questions that would have been barreled at her in by in people's heads I just think is, is a lot to contend with but I think we have just seen her become more complete in her performances and look like she's getting back to I don't know if it's fair to even suggest that she might get back to the levels that she was or if that's a kind of a, a mean thing to suggest that she won't but I think that we have certainly seen it develop and come on a lot from that first game against Reading where she wasn't necessarily getting the touches or her touches were going awry or she wasn't maybe being on the ball as much in that sort of 10 minute cameo to against Bristol getting in some really good positions and playing some really nice passes to now being into a position where she's winning penalties you are seeing a player that is really really developing week on week on week and there's so much to admire in that journey and so much where I think a lot of mums who are watching and thinking can I get back to the level that I was at or will I improve or will I be this or will I be that in whatever industry and whatever field they're working in to watch Alex Morgan build each week and bring a little bit more to the table each week is probably really encouraging for a lot of women that are just coming back from having a baby. And do we know what the plan is? Because her her contract only takes her up until the end of December, doesn't it? I think there's probably quite a bit of sort of um, scrabbling around behind the scenes or I was like a duck who's going to use that sort of metaphor of at Spurs, Rianne Skinner's probably got some work to do for the January window because I'm not sure whether Alana Kennedy will be staying. We don't know about Shalina Zadorsky. Will those three pride players be heading back? They will 
need to look at that and, and perhaps bring other players in. It, I mean, we all, surely, we want them to stay. We want that quality in the league, but whether that will actually happen, it remains to be seen. So do you feel a little bit sorry for Villa then with the timing of this match? Because they, they've played a Spurs side who have got that new manager bounce, who've got Morgan at the moment, they might not have her that longer, or Kennedy, who's a key player for them. And the timing of this fixture, you'd, you'd have thought at one point this could have been a real achievable match for, for Villa to try and go and get something from. Yeah, possibly enough off the back of a, a very good 4-0 win against Bristol City as well. They were probably feeling that they were could get a bit of a role in the run of form and results going. I don't feel too sorry for them because we're just hearing the news that they've probably signed Japanese forward man at Iwabuchi, who's one of my favourite players in the world. So <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom for Villa. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they would have loved to have played them if Spurs were weaker. But who knows what Ryan Skinner can do with, with a little bit more time with that squad of talented players. On to the last bit of action from the weekend then, ladies. It's Bristol City West Ham next. Bristol City are four points adrift at the foot of the table after another 4-0 reverse, this time at the hands of West Ham. It was only a second win of the season for the Hammers, who took the lead through a calamitous own goal when Yana Daniels' clearance struck a teammate Gemma Purfield and rebounded into her own net. Second half goals from Emily Van Egmond, Rachel Daly and Martha Thomas gave the Hammers an emphatic win. And we're talking about a team here that West Ham that is still without a manager since Matt Beard departed, but all going well does this indicate that maybe Billy Stewart's the man for the job Billy Stewart certainly seems to be doing the business I mean if you, you look at the performances and and the result yeah you can you can see the way that they're they're attacking and Martha Thomas particularly if you watch that goal where she she chases the ball to play it into Emily Van Egmond it's all about hunger and desire were we seeing that before? Maybe we were, but there's a bit more of a belief about what they're doing. I think that maybe there's a bit more of a plan in terms of the structure of the team. Maybe it's fortunate the fixtures that you have coming up as well In the when a new manager takes over. I also think it's partly about how what a rough time Bristol City are having. So I don't want to take it all away from West Ham, but I actually listened to a bit of the there's a fans podcast, Fix and Cast, this morning you know when you have a podcast you say like us rate us they say that and then they say pity us <laughs> because they read they're really feeling a little oh. bit down at the moment and they're talking realistically about relegation it's it feels quite depressing and I, I guess it's much worse watching four nil defeats successively on the tv than being in the ground it's it's looking pretty grim and a bit tough for the bottom team mm. I mean, there is this worry for Bristol City. Uh, we'll come on to them a bit more detail, but I, I guess with this uh, vacancy at West Ham, first of all, Katie, uh, we can't ignore the fact that there have been reports that candidates have been interviewed this week. So it, it, it definitely isn't a shoe-in for Billy Stewart. Apparently, Wales boss Jane Ludlow on the shortlist. Uh, Birmingham's Carla Ward still being linked as well. Yeah, I mean, I personally am quite sceptical of Carla Ward just from the perspective of for her to move to a London club is is probably quite a bit of a leap, so I, I doubt that from a personal perspective she would go for that. They do have houses down here, Katie. <laughs> no, but I just mean we've got a family, a young family up here, and a partner's got a business up here, and, and things like okay, that. But okay. I do definitely worry for Bristol City, and the, the, I think the most difficult thing for them is that you can't think of where the win is going to come from or where they're going to turn it around. I think for these 
games. Yes, there are bright sparks in these games. I think Ebony Salmon remains a very good talent for for them. Whether she always gets the service or whether they always get her on the ball in the right positions is probably another question. But I don't think it's all doom and gloom for them. I think that Salmon is their one sort of bright spot. But I do look at them and, and as I was saying, just not sure when they're going to turn this around or where the win is going to come from. And really what they want to achieve for this to kind of be going on week in, week out and I'd almost be accepted or be considered kind of inevitable part. I do. I have a lot of admiration and time for Tanya York to be and, and really love her to bits. But I just um, wonder. I just can't see this being turned around immediately. So I do wonder where a first win is going to come from for them. They've had some great news in the fact that Tanya's announced, hasn't she, this week? She's pregnant. She's expecting a son early next year. But in terms of things on the pitch, uh, football-wise, it's a tough project. Very much so, and they've got a lot of um, young and exciting players. But it's it's tough for young players to to be at the bottom of the table and to have that that pressure on you. She rested Ebony Salmon and Charlie Wellings for the game on Sunday, and you would say that they're two of the sort of brightest sparks. So you sort of what yeah, I'm saying what Katie's saying as well. So where where are the points going to come from? Because they need to start soon, otherwise the the weight just gets heavier and heavier upon you. Birmingham Everton fans nothing to report for you I'm afraid one more talking point is that Birmingham City's game with Everton was postponed due to a waterlogged pitch you spoke about those conditions Jen wow you couldn't have played anything on this pitch heavy rain saw the referee call it off just over an hour before the scheduled start at Damson Park as a player and as a former player Jen how frustrating is that when it you know just an hour before you must be in that mindset that you're going to be playing a match yeah but I think it's Everton are used to games getting called off quite late, aren't they? Yeah. I just said that. You said it out loud and it's going on. I know, that's fine. It's it's tongue-in-cheek. It's Yeah, it's frustrating, but it's it's one of those things. That you can't, I mean, you can't control that. If you're injured or you've got a bit of a niggle, you're probably quite happy to have a bit more of a break. And given that Everton have got two games this week, two big games, although is the County Cup game a bit of a dead rubber? I'm not sure. They, they were probably okay about it. And at least fans didn't have to travel a long way to get in. Yes, Everton have got Manchester United in the League Cup. We are going to focus, though, on Champions League action next. And Katie, Jen, just chip in with what you think about these fixtures. Because at the moment, Manchester City and Gothenburg, tightly poised. City do lead 2-1 after the first leg. This is in the round of 32 for the Champions League. But uh, I suppose this one could still go either way. I think that Manchester City will quite easily win this one. I I think that they, they started a little bit shakily. It was sort of part of their... Sometimes you have a bit of Jackal and Hyde with, with Manchester City and they started a bit of the, the wrong kind of performance, but they, they righted it. I can't see them stumbling now. This is I would expect this to be a pretty straightforward, foregone conclusion. It's a bit of a fortress at the Academy Stadium. With these Champions League games, you do see a real divide between the richer European clubs and, and the ones that are maybe part-time or not doing it with the same level of resource. So I think it's going to be a while before the Champions League becomes as closely contested in the early rounds as it is in the later rounds in the women's game. And that divide very much evident in the other game between Chelsea and Benfica. Chelsea leading 5-0 after the first leg and then this is the home tie for them. I suppose, you know, this is the one, isn't it? It's the one that Emma Hayes wants. She wants to get the Champions League trophy to Chelsea and that means getting past Leon. Would this send out now a huge statement? So is the scoreline that's going to happen this week, is it all about getting in the heads of the other big players? Yeah, potentially, because that's what Leon have done for, for several years. They've sort of made, made their statement early on. They had a wobbly time against Juventus 
late winner in um, Turin. Whereas I watched that Chelsea game and they were they were just fantastic. I mean, they really were cruising. It was it was wonderful and also horrible to watch because you felt for Benfica in the first half. They actually rallied in the, the second half and or maybe Chelsea took their foot off a little bit off the pedal. But yeah, Chelsea were just purring. They really were. Uh, the thing is, though, Leon do it too. I mean, in the league, they scored nine this week and Nikita Paris got a hat-trick again. Um, it is tough to call. But yeah, they, they do want to do that. They want to match them on the statement levels. Um, next WSL fixtures then. This is going for next weekend and it's the last one before the winter break, all being played on Sunday the 20th. Arsenal against Everton, Chelsea against Spurs, Man United versus Bristol City, and that's a top versus bottom, isn't it, at the moment? Birmingham City against Man City, Brighton, Reading and West Ham Villa. Which one are you picking out each? Arsenal v Everton for me, I think. For Arsenal to get back on track and to pick points up after the performance that they served up against Manchester City and in particular the criticism that has come their way is a real statement of intent. And I think with Everton it's such a difficult one because we continually approach these games against the top sides and, and say, oh, is this going to be the proof that Everton are finally bridge that gap into the top three and uh, they always end up falling short and I think that given the way that they are at the moment and being without Govan in particular is kind of the key one for them it's just so unfortunate that these games are coming um, when they are against those top three sides because it's just um, you really want to see them close that gap and, and become the, fo- the force that their investment and that their commitment and their performances elsewhere among Willie Kirk suggest that they can be so it's just frustrating from a a neutral perspective as someone who wants to see the game be as competitive as possible that just in these big games they are going in with a really really severely weakened squad given what you said earlier Katie about Manchester United when they play the the smaller teams and not winning by these huge margins just sort of winning 1-0 it's piqued my interest now for this Manchester United Bristol City match <laughs> top against bottom and I'm wondering is it going to be more than 1-0 I think Man United sure aren't going to win this but I'm now I'm now interested in what the scoreline will be um okay Jen well, I can't pick Arsenal Everton, so I'm going to single out the fact that the Chelsea Spurs game, this could be a swan song potentially for some of the overseas players at Spurs. We could see two of the world's best strikers, you know, genuinely world-class stars on the same field. That's quite exciting, isn't it? Yes, very much so. And there'll be so many cameras on them embracing each other and... I'm sure there'll be exchanges, won't there, after the match as well between them. We'll definitely have an eye on that and what happens and whether Morgan can get another goal. Maybe one not from the penalty spot for for this match. Um, We'll move on to best footballer on the planet next. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. So over the last few weeks, the offside rule alongside The Guardian have been counting down our top 100 female footballers in the world. And it's decided by a panel of judges. Last week, we got to number one. Did you see this, Katie? Did you see this, Jen? Did you see who got it? Of course. Pernille Harder. Pernille Harder of Chelsea, number one. Uh, And she takes over from Sam Kerr to become the first player to win it, not once, but twice. And we can speak to the man that put this together. He used to be a vital cog in the offside rule wheel, now at Sheffield United and still does the top 100 for us. It's Rich Laverty. Rich, how are you? Uh, Good. Just enjoying some uh, quiet time now after doing that because it's, yeah, as you know, and, and Kate knows, it's a long it's a long process and this year it was obviously more difficult than ever really with um, lack of games played and 
bit of a tighter deadline this year. I got a good in- insight into what Jen's life is like, <laughs> having uh, tight deadlines all the time. Can you quickly explain as well, for anyone who hasn't seen the list before or isn't aware of how it's put together, how it is decided? Yeah, so I think some people have like uh, an idea that we all get on a big Zoom call and, and thrash it out together. You can't do that with 88. It'd be, be fun, but it's mm-hmm. never going to work. So it's all aggregated. Everybody votes individually. And, and that's why it bugs me when people say, oh, you do certain things or leave p- certain people out to spark debate. Like, you cannot fix this. You know, even if I wanted to, you cannot fix it. So w- what we do is we send the long list of players out to all our judges uh, nobody confers, everybody votes individually. They vote for their top 40. And essentially then it's just a points-based system. So if somebody sends a, a voting form back and they've got Penelia Harder as number one, which many did, we give her 40 points. The second place player gets 39 and 38 and so on down to whoever their 40th player is. It's like a giant Eurovision song contest. It is. It's like a giant Eurovision <laughs> song contest. That is quite a good way of actually describing the system. And then it's all added together. It just all gets added together and, and that brings us to 100. And we, we do a top 40 because obviously you want enough variation in people's votes to, to get to 100 players, which you always do. Obviously, if you're asking people to do a top 10 or a top 15, there's not going to be as much variation. You know, everyone's top 10s are quite similar and were quite similar this year. So you might not get to 100 in that case. So it's difficult because a lot of people, you know, we, we appreciate, you know, in women's football, it's still very lacking in visibility when there's no major tournament. So a lot of people don't get to see the players regularly and especially this year and that's an ongoing challenge and one that I don't think is going to disappear anytime soon. But uh, yeah, that's how we work it. Okay, so Harder, she moved up from an eighth place finish in 2019 to top the whole list. And she was, I think it's worth pointing out, almost 150 points clear of Arsenal's Vivian Miedemar. So she'd she'd won it by a clear distance. And then third place, Manchester City's Lucy Bronze, who's a consistent performer in this list in the top three to five. Any other highlights in the top ten? I think seeing Cascarino at Lyon sneak in there um, because I think she was like 72nd or something last year, so she was one of the biggest movers, um, was good because, again, they're the players that maybe don't get the worldwide recognition on a regular basis. I I was happy to see uh, Katoto at PSG be in the top 20. Beth England absolutely shot up into nearly the top 25. But if I'm being honest, the bit I like is the first section. That we do. I, I I love that bottom thirty because that's where all the new players come in that maybe people haven't heard of or haven't been in before. And there were so many exciting young players in that section. And obviously there was England's Chloe quite Kelly. a few Scottish ones. There was a few Scottish players, yeah. And Chloe Kelly made it for the first time. There was a few from Sweden, and it's just nice, you know, because it shows people are paying attention and it shows people are recognizing them. And while everybody focuses, obviously. On who wins and who comes top three and top 10, you know, the whole reason we do the 100 is because we're recognising 100 players, you know, not 10 or 20. You know, we're recognising a lot of players that don't get that recognition anywhere else. Thank you so much for all your work on it, Rich. Um, honestly, every year we know how much goes into it. Jen, Katie, what were your thoughts? Well, I think it comes out with the, the right results. I think Penilla Harder performs on every platform. She settled into Chelsea so quickly. It just shows you her class, top scoring in the Bundesliga, showing it in the Champions League. 
banging in goals for Denmark. She's just quality. And, and Rich is listing that the people put, put the time into it. It really is probably the, the leading list in terms of its integrity and the respect that people have for, for the players that are on it. And it's a representation, I think, of of what we've seen over the past year. Yeah, I think the top 10 in particular is really, really fair and probably the most accurate one I think we've seen in recent recent years. But again, just to echo what Jen says, I think for everybody to put the time in that they do, particularly as Rich was saying, they, with that kind of 100 to 70, 75, 60 bracket when you sort of start to see movers and you start to see new names break into that list it's a really important resource I think for people that are maybe just getting into the women's game or to maybe promote the profile of players that are on the radar for those who followed the game in detail or that are involved in the game a lot day to day but maybe not as familiar to more casual followers or newcomers to the game and things like that so I think it's a really good reflection of the landscape and the development of players and really does bolster the profile of those that are maybe not enjoying the same kind of superstar status as as, uh, others. A big thank you to Rich Laverty then for joining us to discuss that top 100. And you can view the whole list online. You just go to offsiderulepodcast.com and it's also available in The Guardian. I think that's all we've got time for, ladies. And we've got one more show to bring you before Christmas next week. But thank you very much, Jen, Katie. What's next for you? And are you looking forward to Christmas? Is anyone looking forward to Christmas this year? I am because I've been very organised. All my Christmas shopping was done by November. So I am looking forward to it because it's all sorted. Jen? I'm heading off to the North York Moors for a week in a couple of days, just run up and down some different hills. Oh, it'll get tougher as it gets slippier. That's all right, I'll rehydrate. Wink, wink. (laughs) Well, we look forward to having you on again in the new year. Enjoy your Christmas break. Remember everyone as well to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get the show. We would really appreciate that. That would be a great Christmas gift for us to have from you. And um, we'll see you again next week where hopefully we'll have Jess Fishlock with us. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. Money Knees Media